You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast with your hosts Adam Keith and Matt Dye. We've changed things up a little bit this week. This is going to be very interesting. Last week, if you remember or if you recall, I was struggling through the entire podcast. And this week... Matt decided to throw me a curveball, and we're diving into this podcast, and I really don't have a clue what we're really talking about. Um, he's kind of pointing me in a direction, but as far as notes, uh, I have not seen notes. I've not seen. I have not written down any of my own notes. So I guess you could say we're going to test how good we really are this week because we're kind of in a little pickle. Matt's getting ready to go on vacation. We decided we want to go ahead and knock out another podcast before he left. And here we are recording. It's late at night. We're recording this next podcast, and I don't have any notes. He's got his notes. So basically, we're we're gonna test and see how good Matt is because I can oh, I can come sure. on now. Don't put the pressure all on me. Yeah, throwing so, me under the bus. We haven't even gotten started now. Yeah, honestly, a lot of people, if they've been around us, they they laugh because. A large majority of the time, we're finishing each other's sentences, but I think this might tonight might be an exception to that <laughs> as yeah. we're getting started. But hey, we're, we're gonna see. You really made us sound like a married couple right there. You know that we're finishing each other's sentences. Nope. Then my wife does That's that. That's just because we not... think similarly. Yeah. Not because. Well, any... the truth be told, we probably see each other more than we see our own wives. So. That's true. Um, because as we are, as we are uh, lovely wives. You know, I heard I heard a phrase the other day. It made me think of you, and I, I laugh when I say it. And I, I was kind of like, you know, I've heard that line before, but I've forgotten all about it. Is that you can, um, what is the phrase? I guess you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family, and you certainly can't pick your brother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, yeah. So uh, you know, you just can't pick your brother-in-law. That's true. Um, Lucky and, you though. I mean, you lucky, lucked out. You, yeah. you lucked out. Yeah. <laughs> Guy who so can in finish case your you didn't know, sentences. in case you didn't know, Matt is my brother-in-law, and um, we married sisters. Yeah, not as in he married my sister no. and I married his sister. Uh, I married a nice young lady, and he married her sister. So we're brother brothers-in-law. Um, and I really don't know where we're going. Oh, how does this pertain to deer? Oh, okay. Because we're finished each other's yeah. sentences. Finish. And then okay. we're going to go and just knock out this podcast. Yeah, there we go. Knock it out. And basically what we're talking about today is a year in a buck's life. And how habitat management correlates with that stress periods. Basically what a buck is going to go through and how you can better prepare your habitat so that a buck which most people are after, that's the focus for, for hunting seasons, is going to be in the best shape throughout the entire year to produce the best antlers, the best quality meat. And um, that's what we're talking about. So, Adam, is that enough information to go off of? Are you ready? <laughs> I guess. You're in a life of a buck, and I just I just saw a whole big calendar flipping pages and different different things, but I'm guessing it's not as easy as that. So let's go no, ahead. No, it's not. But you know what? Why don't we start off easy and just talk about late June, where we're at right now, what's happening in a buck's life. And you pulled cards. We kind of talked about that last podcast. You, we had just pulled cards and you've gone through them and uh, kind of tell us what you saw on the cards. Break it down. What is on the family farm and the lease? Um, so everyone kind of understands of what we got going and, and, uh, where our bucks on, on that property are at. Well, I can handle that. Um, so I pulled cards last week and as I mentioned, there were several nice bucks that were very far along in development. Um, they were really, you know, you were already seeing G2s, G3, even one of them had G4s poking up. 
several inches on even on that G4. So he was really developed. Now, June, for me, when I think of June, I think of massive growth. You know, we start out June 1st, and, you know, they could not even have G2. A lot really, of main just, beam development yeah, there. And just those forks, basically. You see that G2 just coming off that main beam. And during from June 1 to June 30th, it's just a monster growth in, in antlers. And so during this time of the year, there's a lot of growth going on. So a lot of their, uh, there's, a, there's a lot to choose from in their diet as well. There's a lot of native vegetation that is in full growth. There's tons of food for them, um, especially here where we're at. We're in full green out now, and there's a lot of antler growth. That's, that's basically where I'm seeing on our cards. There's a lot of bucks that have developed their antlers and are looking good. And uh, I'm excited. What kind of bastard groups are you seeing right now? Still, still in bastard groups. Uh, three, four uh, was the common one. There's, it's basically for me. I was seeing in, in this last card pool. There was, there was. In come to think of it, I didn't expect that question. By the way, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking back off of memory. I think I don't remember seeing one lone buck. They were all together. Mm-hmm. Still in bachelor groups. So. Anyway, that that pretty much answers that and, on and where the, they're at. Bachelor groups developing antlers. And, and going through a lot of change. This this is the development period where you're really starting to begin to see, oh, that's the buck from last year. That's him this year. And um, really, it's an exciting time because Kinda. you're you're making that, that connection. I think a um, mule who, no matter yes. what time of the year, I know who he is because of his white feet. Yeah, he definitely has that Looks distinguished like kinda, characteristic. You know, when you, you know when you're barefooted out in the yard and you step in some mud and it squishes between your toes? And it that, shoots up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what he has, but it was like with bleach. So he's got yeah. brown on the outside, but white right that through the middle. center. So you definitely know who he is, no matter if he has antlers or not. Mm-hmm. But and he's he's a he's a top pit lister. Top this pit year. lister. Yeah, he won't. I mean, as we've talked before, antler score really doesn't matter a whole lot to us. Um, he's one of those deer that the reason he's called mule or muley is because he doesn't really have brow tines. He's a nine pointer. Uh, he'll might go one thirty. I don't know. Maybe it he's got a great frame. Great frame. Not I much mean, for beams. He's with. Re- Probably 18 wide. I'd say 18, like 19 that. wide. He's, he's um, good wide. He's a great looking deer, but he just doesn't have anything for brows, which will really cut him. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's a he's definitely the top hit lister for one main reason, and that's because he's one of the older deer. Of course, that's we like to go after some older deer, or, but on the farm, it really is such a smaller property that you really don't. If if he's a nice buck, he makes you happy. We're going to take him. But the reason we are going after mule is because we. First time ever we found a match sets. So yes, match set and and really got some pretty good history with him last year on, on camera. The last two years we've had yeah. him on the farm and and uh, I think honestly I think this is the year that he's four and a half. I, he'll be four and a half this fall. Um, just a great looking deer. Finally found match sets and uh, yeah, he's top of the hit list. So he's he's appearing. You you start recognizing him by his antlers, and um, that's exciting. So a lot of times. That um, is the case for for many people across the Whitetails range. Really you know, a lot of guys study. A lot of guys, yeah, they pull their cameras right after season, and they don't have them out during the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like as soon as uh, I know a lot of people that July July fourth is like the weekend they start putting out cameras. Some guys it's June, and this is the time of year where you start recognizing bucks again. So you're getting your right. cameras out, you're putting it on mineral, you're putting it on some sort of attractant, and you're trying to get those deer uh, in front of your cameras. Mm-hmm. And as that antlers continue to develop, and it really at the end of July, that's about the last last tail end. Well, I guess tail end of July, beginning of August is when antlers really stop growing. What happens through the month of August is the calcification of the antlers, and they're still in bachelor groups yes, during this time. Still in bachelor groups, so that the month of August is really devoted to that and. As we go into the the biology of the buck, and this is the amazing part to me, is is what their bodies go through. So obviously the calcification, they're losing a lot of calcium and phosphorus in their in their bone and skeletal structure, and they can hold that mineral content um, in their bones, and then they're transferring it from their bone and skeletal system into their antlers during the month of August, and they actually go through a temporary osteoporosis um, during that month. Because they're transferring so much, so the bones are really brittle, and they're not aggressive. And um, at that at that time, that quickly changes as you get back into September. But 
as you go into September, they're pounding the mineral again and eating a lot. And, and in a quick amount of time, really 15, 20 days, 30 days, and this is all through captive study research, those minerals are replaced in their skeletal system and they're pretty much back to normal. And um, it, that just fascinates me because of the the mystery with antlers. And it's a full body process. And to know that they're transferring those minerals and, and the, the amount of change that goes on in their bones and skeletal system to make antlers is, is crazy. Thinking, the, you know, humans as, as we go through temporary osteoporosis, you break bones easy. And those deer are in that c- condition year in and year out. So it's a tremendous um, change that their bodies are going through. So September rolls around and a lot, a lot of times that's the beginning of, of deer season. Many areas or, or the, the very beginning portion of, of October. And as we're getting to there, testosterone is increasing an incredible amount and they're preparing for the rut. Adam, what are some things that you're seeing? Well, that when you speak of testosterone, that, that jump is initially what triggers that shedding of the velvet. Correct. And in so early September. Now we start to shed the velvet. And that's when you really, that's whenever, I think of states like Kentucky and Wyoming, Wyoming. and other places where season opens up that even 1st of September mm-hmm. or whenever it is, maybe it's the 5th of September, and you're like, oh, I want to kill a buck in velvet. I want to shoot a buck in velvet. I want to shoot a buck in velvet. And season opens up, and it's like a race race against the clock because you know as soon as that velvet gets shed he turns into a totally different animal yes it's just like you're i hate to say it but it's almost like you're hunting something that's very much patternable uh-huh. and then all of a sudden that that uh velvet gets shed and it turns into a wild animal again and you're just like i don't know where he went mm-hmm. and here in the ozarks that's whenever a lot of acorns start dropping too so if you're trying that's why you have multiple factors multiple factors pattern and, changes and it's and difficult it, very difficult and so and and again we open up september 15th here so the chance of killing a harvesting a velvet buck in the it's, it's basically night, night one or two yeah. of the season yeah and then after that it's it's over right um and so yes that's they shed that the testosterone right testosterone level rises Velvet gets shed. Now we're talking about. Then they start getting a little more aggressive with each other. Bachelor groups break up. Now they become almost loners. They're on their own, and it's it's a totally different beast. It's, it's a different ball game. And um, I, I, I guess I jumped a, a touch ahead. We were talking about, or wanted to talk about old field management in that stress oh, yes. period. We kind of missed a stress period there, late summer. Um, in, in summertime, you don't really think of, of a, as a stress period in a deer's life, but it really is due to the fact of lack of rain in, in many areas or the, or the, the heat, the, the heat because vegetation is not nearly as pal- palatable, um, except for some instances, if you have the right type of habitat. Adam, talk a little bit about the habitat that does really well in those conditions and how a land manager can can provide that type of habitat and forage, high-quality forage, even in a known stress period where other plants, typical plants' food plots, are, are really starting to change and turn over. Um, talk about old field management a little bit. So when you think of, like I think of a spring food plot, something you plant in the spring, let's just say you're planting soybeans or even sunflowers, by that time of the year... August, uh, those are really almost maturing now, and they're not near as palatable. A lot of your woody species um, are, aren't nearly as palatable, so they're not eating those as much. The amount of food available to the deer at this time of the year has dropped dramatically just to the growing season, and, and those plants have now matured and reached their maturity level where they're making seeds. They're not, they're not putting off forage. That's a great point right there, and that because of the lack well. I guess in addition to the lack of rain, it comes a time now where, where these plants are putting on that seed. And so instead of making and growing really, really palatable leaves or, or new shoots and everything, it's seed production. That's what those plants are thinking about, seed production. So, again, instead of the palatable leaves and tender portions of the plant, seed production is, is their main focus. And as a result, it's a lot less food available, high-quality food available for deer. But the great thing about those high diversity um, areas of 
uh, we talk about it a lot, old field management. So there's there's uh, numerous species that are growing out there, and they each have a different maturity rate and mature at different times of the year. So now we're talking about uh, 50, 100, hundreds of species growing in this one area that are maturing at different times of the year. So there's almost always something green and palatable. Throughout the growing season. Throughout the growing season and especially throughout that stress period. So that's the importance of trying to get these fields and this early secession high diverse areas. Mm -hmm. And one other thing that, you know, of course food plots can be um, beneficial at this time of the year, especially a a late maturing bean. You know, they're not... They're not turning as early or in, in producing, producing a lot of um, energy towards pod production at this time of the year, like maybe a conventional ag bean. So a, a later group bean, seven or an eight. Yeah, um, like an eagle seed bean that we yeah. use a lot. Those yeah, we, are we, a we, great we, example of a bean that's going to be growing during that time of the year when a conventional soybean, uh, a crop soybean, something they're cutting for grain, is going to already be turning yellow and starting to focus on pods the eagle beans or another forage soybean is still growing and still very palatable yeah so so, ba- so that's one way to answer that question of of during the late summer how do i there's two main stress periods for a for a white-tailed deer and it's late summer late winter we're going to get to the late winter one uh, a little bit yes. later but this late summer that's why it's important for habitat management and not just focusing on food plots if you're really trying to call yourself a a deer manager or a wildlife manager is Outside of the food plots, you need to really think of other ways to improve the habitat in your area. And this is one of the big key components of that is not just looking at the food plots, but having something available during these stressful times. of. And one main reason for that is I think a lot of times we get focused on how can I make the habitat great during hunting season. But the two main stress periods don't happen. They don't fall hunting within season. the hunting so season. So you need to be thinking of ways that you can manage and helping your deer, since we are talking specifically deer this mm-hmm. time of year, how can I manage to help those deer during those stressful periods of the t- stressful periods of the year? And by doing this habitat work, we can ensure that the stress levels are a lot lower because they have everything they need. Now they have the ability to express more potential during hunting season cool. or have more deer during hunting season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, does that work for you? No, that works great. Okay. You, you, you hit the nail on the Woo. head and, and took, you like, took my bait. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I like feel that. like I just stepped into the batter's box this week, and You're just I don't even know who the pitch, starting pitcher. Doesn't I don't matter. have a scouting report. I'm just like, nope. okay, I'm sitting on a fastball. I'm so going to throw you strikes. What's our next point? All right, next point. Basically, we've we've left that, that late season stress period, late summer season stress period. We're moving into the higher testosterone. We're getting through September and diving into October. We'll touch on that again and lead us right into the rut. While we're talking about that, you know, we talk about that since we're doing the life of a deer, life of a whitetail buck, especially is what we're talking about today. You know, think of September when testosterone levels have risen. They've shed velvet. They've now gone into their lone wolf stage, if you will. They're no, oh. long, they're no longer in bachelor groups. What's another big thing that we see? What I see here in the Ozarks, especially in the other properties I've hunted a lot, is that's when they kind of switch out of the summer yeah. range to a fall, almost like a core area home range for the fall and winter. And it's like you can have a buck on camera all summer long, and all of a sudden, boom, he's gone. There's a couple of things. A couple of reasons why. He'll usually shift to a – most of the time it's driven by food, or it could be um, something else. But a lot of times you'll see him shift out of that summer pattern of staying around a soybean field or whatever – a conventional soybean field, and now it's starting to mature, and they shift and they go somewhere else. That's usually because they're going to find something mm-hmm. uh, better to eat. Um, anything you want, and, and that's it. That's another point when those bachelor groups are really starting to break up. The testosterone they're getting irritable with one another. They don't want to be around their competition, and so they distance themselves and they split up and almost occupying different ranges, core areas. I'm not gonna say territory because that that means they're protecting these areas and, and not protecting not territorial animals correct but they're occupying different areas that they did in the summertime again that's possible change of a food source um in addition to the increases in testosterone and and you know they want to again separate the social um groups that they had in the summertime um so that's again another great point that they're really changing those ranges and that's another effect of testosterone 
and stuff that you're probably seeing on cameras um, and may not understand why this is happening. To me, um, to me, this time basis. of year is one of the biggest the biggest changes in the whole year. This is whenever you think you know somebody. It's just you think you know somebody until September and October roll around and you don't know them anymore. <laughs> or it's like you know you you hear that saying and the phrase like you know you you make plans and God just laughs at them. You know, yeah, you have all these plans of tagging that buck. You know, come opening opening day and then the week before he just switches. He yes. just moves to a different race. Or or he moves off the property entirely and you don't have another picture of him. Then he winds up a mile later or two miles down the road killed. To me, this is later in the season. That, that shift, that changing, that completely leaving an area, moving around, that's why, to me, it's so important to have the the best oh, habitat yes. available. Because exactly. Because when you manage your farm, every every acre of your farm, you have great food plots, you have great whatever it is. Timber, bedding cover. You have great bedding. You have, you have security. You have cover. You have water. You have everything they need. That's where they're going to want to be. And especially Absolutely. when hunting pressure starts, that's where they're going to want to be. Mm-hmm. But if it's the same everywhere out, you have this kind of almost the same habitat. Yes. Habitat. Um, then, then they're going to travel around and cover bigger areas. But if you have everything they need, a lot of times that's when you see core areas really shrink Shrinking down because down. they don't have to go anywhere else to get it. Because they can stay right there where they know they're safe, secure, and they have everything they need to survive. So that's why it's so important. If you're really trying to improve the habitat or improve the hunting on your property, that you go the extra mile. You do the work during the summer. You do the work year-round. That way, the deer stay on your place year-round. You separate yourself from your neighbors, and that's why if you if you followed along and listened to last week's podcast, that 40-acre block, it's not, it's not a negative that's 40 acres because – the way that property is is designed and going to be implemented by the landowner is going to have everything that a whitetail needs. And when those bachelor groups break up, they some of the best bucks. Or that's going to be the the best habitat. So they're going to come back to that area. No, those are going to be in there. I'm going to check that, and he's going to have a, a much higher success rate on that property doing the habitat management that he's done and completed versus not doing anything at all. And I think that's a that's a big point to drive home because you might sit there and say, well, is it really going to be worth it? We'll take a look around. Are your neighbors doing it? No? Hey, you're probably going to see a lot better um, hunting as a result of doing the habitat management because it's a preferred area. That's, you're giving me, the deer that, what they this want. This is the, the, the debate you can have is you think of everybody dreams of hunting Iowa and hunting Illinois and hunting Kansas and you think of all the habitat or all the food available in those places. And if you really want to compete with the neighbors up there and have, you, you're going to have to do a lot, mm-hmm. but in these rougher areas, these timber country areas, it really doesn't take a lot to improve your habitat and right. have better habitat than your neighbor. Cause basically you open up the canopy, add a little more early succession, plant a food, <laughs> plant a few food plots. And here you go. You're leaps and bounds ahead of everybody. Yeah. And we see that time and time again on our clients' land and um, managing in this this rougher mountainous terrain um, for many years, and it it's kind of encouraging when people are seriously <laughs> are sitting there. Are you sure this is going to work? I promise you, it's going to work. This is uh, you know we were in the truck with our our uh, field producer Zach Shermer uh, two days ago, yeah. and he asked me if I won the lottery, where would I buy land? And I said right here at home, and he thought I was crazy. And he was almost he like, still thinks you're crazy. Still th- and I'm like, oh, why? Like, this is home. I have no re- I don't want to move anywhere else. Mm-hmm. This Ozark Mountains is what I, that's what I know. Like, I, I, I love it. I, yeah. I love the major challenge of it. But to me, that's one of the big reasons is because it, land is a lot cheaper and you can do a lot of work on it and have, you I, can I think stand it can out. be just as good as other areas that people look and, at. And that's the thing. It, you might start at a level that it, that is, you know, lower than crop country. However, through habitat management and doing things the right way, you can produce giants. We've seen it mm-hmm. year in and year out on highly managed places. Great deer being harvested in the area. Yeah. And um, I, it's just an encouraging note. So back so to... So if you're out there, I'm going to say this okay. right now. If you're Here's out a di- there... Adam's disclaimer. I'm going to give a little advice. So if you're out there and you're like, I would really love to to own land in Iowa, and you look at those prices and you're like, there's no way I'm ever going to own land up there. Don't give up on the fact of you're not ever going to own land in Iowa. 
buy land where it's cheap, rough country, timber country, and know how to and learn how to manage that. And you can have fantastic hunting in those areas. Don't think that you have to, that you're going to grow. That you have to own land in Iowa to grow a 200 inch. You can do that in these areas. You just have to educate yourself on how to do it. And that's where that's where we come in. We're going to tell you how to do it. Yeah, that's that's where we're going to come in. And it you know obviously a lot of research. Soil is a huge huge determining factor of productivity and whitetails. And that, that's where I was talking about that baseline. You know, Iowa's got great soils. Kansas, parts of Kansas have great soil. And that's going to that's gonna start you off higher. But if you're managing these other areas that you could afford the land in, you know, you can get to producing really, really high-quality deer in great numbers. And, um, again, you don't, you don't have to just go buy the best. You can, you can put in the work, listen to this podcast, yes. and get there. And you think about, like, Okay, in Iowa, I've heard some land prices in Iowa that are just, oh, yeah, crazy. And then we we run into a property that's sold for four hundred dollars an acre in southern Missouri. So and, that's and the a, kind of numbers. Great potential in that property. A, amazing potential. A glade, um, lots of lots and lots and lots of potential there. Um, it just just knowing how to do it was the the one the, the key component to that. So if you're out there and you want land, just let us know. We've got some we've got some contacts um, that we might be able to hook you up with. So let us know. Anyhow, yeah. let's go back to what we're talking about. What were we talking about? I think we're in October. We're in October. That mm-hmm. switch pre rut. So yeah, let's talk about some some changes that that these bucks are going through during pre rut. And let's I don't want to spend a lot of time because that this is really is a pre rut rut post rut or those are all three that's different podcasts. That's a whole podcasts. other podcast. That's three different podcasts. So October, this is the month that's still pretty fairly warm, depending on where you are. But in the Midwest, we get fairly warm. You hear you a lot about spots. the October lull. Yep. Um, you may get a cool front, and that's when we kill a lot of deer, when we when deer are really moving. But now they most deer, most of the deer now have their, their winter coats. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that's happened in September. August, September, October is this shifting from an orange body to a gray body. They're losing their summer coat, and they're going to a winter coat. And that's why uh, October, if it's a warm October, you don't see a lot of movement, not because of hunting pressure usually. It's all dealing with the weather most of the time. That's your trump card, weather. And if they're wearing a winter coat and it's hot, they're going to be moving at night. Just know that. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's – that's the month that weather really controls what you're going to see. Yeah. And and then then comes the, the November time when it really doesn't – matter what the weather is deer will be moving in a lot mm-hmm. and you know you hear oh rut was terrible this year i don't even know if they bred well they're gonna breed every single year and when we're talking rut we're talking about most states where we know the rut happens in some states down in february or january yes a lot of times we're going to talk this podcast is more about the midwestern guys i guess if Mid- you will well midwestern, or even south just the majority of deer hunters mm-hmm. um it's going to fall in that late october november time frame um and so you see a little bit of movement. There's a little bit of pre-rut cruising, looking for receptive does. Um, you're seeing that a, a good bit. Nothing like you'll see it in November, though. And and one of the great pieces of research that's come out of um, Pennsylvania, Penn State, recently um, was GPS tracking college on individual bucks for the month of October versus the month of November. In that study, that deer had his range, and within his range, he moved... 24 miles, they're able to calculate um, his total distance traveled during the month of October, 24 miles. Okay? November, 90 miles that buck traveled. So they're putting a lot of miles on their feet during the month of October. So to me as a hunter, that's just really encouraging. I just know that if I'm if I can nail down this buck's core area, figure out where the does are bedding, play and the wind right. Play the wind right, be in the pinch points, I've got a good chance of, of harvesting the buck because he's moving that much during November. It, it's just an incredible amount of, of of energy. And that's what I really want to kind of talk about this week anyhow, is the amount of stress and the amount of energy that these bucks are using in that in that time period and and it's all really dependent also upon your your herd dynamics and when you're when your buck to doe ratios are out of whack and 
and um, not even your deer are going to experience different levels of this intensity. So basically, if you have more bucks per square mile, you have more deer who are breeding does instead of, let's say, five bucks that are breeding an incredible amount of does and putting that much wear and tear on their bodies. So really, a balanced herd really will make a healthier herd in the long run because they'll make a healthier herd and also make a more hunting-friendly environment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Calling is way more um, successful, effective. Uh, So that's why you you really should do camera surveys and understand your herd dynamic and what the buck-to-doe ratio is because if you're, as we are, I'm guessing, if you're listening to this podcast... You are a habitat guy for the most part. I'm, we're assuming hunting habitat guy, you, you, and so this is your you're trying to improve butter. it, and so you really need to know what the buck to doe ratio is, and and go off that whenever you know it. So yeah, and, and that that can help, of course, control uh, give you object harvest objectives for for a year. But understanding those ratios and, and where you're at will help. Then to understand the amount of stress that that these bucks specifically are putting on their body. And there's been other research conducted um, that through rut, through basically this month of November and into December, deer are losing up to 24% of their body mass. That's incredible. 24%. So if that deer weighs 200 pounds, I'm just going to rough it. He's dropping to 150 pounds in the month of November. Mm. That's a, you know, that makes me think of a story of a, a buck we were hunting a couple of years ago. We saw him during the rut chasing some does, and he was, of course, I think it was five and a half that year. He was running around, man, he looked good, all muscled up, beefed up. That was early November. And then late December, he came charging out chasing a, a fawn. And it took us a little bit to even realize who it was because he was so skinny. He looked like a mm-hmm. two-and-a-half-year-old. Right. And he was all all legs. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, you know, eh. a lot of times deer comes out, you always say, don't look at the antlers, don't look at the antlers, don't look at the answer. antlers. And we're like, wait a second. I, I looked at his antlers, I'm like, that's that's that buck we've been after. Like, well, who no did way. he trade bodies with? Like, <laughs> right. it was, he had lost so much weight. Yeah, and that was just a classic example of, and we were pulling cards during that time. And he was everywhere, it's and it. he was one of those that you just know was running and running and chasing and chasing and not focused on feeding. He wasn't focused on trying to beef up. He was focused on one thing, and that was to spread his offspring, basically to spread his genes to Make the next generation. Offspring. Yeah, so and that's the driving force. When when we complete this whole year in a buck's life, you will really be able to see. What it is that these deer, these bucks are preparing for, and it is this time of the year, it is the rut. They live and die by two things, reproduction and survival. And survival to reproduce is yes. basically it. So Survival to reproduce. So everything that a deer does is basically survive to be able to reproduce, survive to be able to reproduce. So kind of keep that in mind. Um, as we're working our way through the podcast, you'll probably be able to make your own connections with things that you've seen and other things that we're saying um, that will really be like, oh, yeah, I, I've noticed that. It's likely because they're surviving to reproduce. Anyhow, I was it, I kind of chuckled back here because I'm thinking it's kind of like that kid that you went to school with. And, yeah, you know, they might have been a little a little chunky. And then you go to summer. And I guess that kid just, he got, he got his rear and gear. He got himself into shape. He comes back to school the next September. And you're like, who is that guy? Who, who is that? He, he, you he, know, you know, no, don't, don't leave know. me hanging. Come on. Now. <laughs> I was thinking that everyone's kid, listening. Like, come on, Adam. And a little chunky. And then they grow out of it. And you're or like, grow oh, out yeah. of it. Yeah. I hope my buddy Garrett, my buddy Garrett. Oh, you're going to call him out by name. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Oh, that yeah. was a he jerk was a, move. I say that he's like my brother, so and he knows it. So, uh, well, finish the story. Come yeah, on. Yeah, no, he was he was real chunky, and, <laughs> and uh, 
<laughs> and and uh, he was two years older than me, um, two grades older than me. He was only a year, but he went to baseball his freshman year and had str- he struggled to run around the bases in 20 seconds. We called that a one in 20. And then his sophomore year, in between his freshman and sophomore year, he, he went home and he grew that summer and he came back this long and lanky kid and he could run no no problem, but he was he grew out of that. So Thank you, Garrett, for yeah. being our example this, yeah. this week. He don't I- care. He'll take it. <laughs> You better text him after we're done recording just just to let him know, hey, heads up. Yeah. We're kinda called you out. No. But yeah. okay, back to the deer. That same that a, a change a drastic change I can't imagine losing twenty five percent of my body mass right now in in a month's time. And it's not because of they're un like they're sick. It's because of activity mm-hmm. and they have one thing on their mind they have a one track mind and they're just running and running and running and again this happens every year whether it's a warm november or not these deer and it might might increase the amount that they're losing because it's warm they're under that much more stress but you might not see it as much because they're moving much more during the the um hours of night but in cooler november's you're seeing a lot of activity, a lot of daylight activity, and these deer are putting miles and miles and miles mm-hmm. under their feet. In 24 miles October, 90 miles in November. And that's what that study was showing. It's just incredible. And they're losing 24% of their body mass. And unfortunately, in many of the states, that falls right into the end of November. And what comes after November? December. Cold temperatures. Yep. Uh, I think that's our first month of winter. Sometime uh, during December, we change over to December 22nd. It's the first day of winter. And that means temperatures are falling. You know, if we're looking in the northern Great Plains, we're probably experiencing snow by this point. Oh, easy. And it's it's getting to where food food availability is dropping. Um, The native, the native, like your, your, Old field management area, your early secession is now turned to cover. It's yep. for the most part, it's not providing much food, and that's when that's why we talk a lot about old field management and having that available during the summer months because that can relieve a lot of pressure and a lot of stress off your food plots. You can have those Absolutely. great yeah. um, forage plants out in your old field management and your bedding areas available for the deer, so they're eating that. And then as that matures and during the fall and winter it turns to cover, now you have designated food plots, which are great for hunting and also feeding the deer. And feeding the deer. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk on a couple different, uh, some other things that can provide forage during that winter. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot you can do in your timber to help that. Oh, yeah. And uh, But as far as hunting, uh, that's, where, that's where food plots come in for us. We're not looking at our food plots as really feeding the deer for survival, but more hunting strategy. But they can also help. If you have enough of them, they can really help it's the deer. A, it's a supplement to get mm-hmm. them through. And, you know, of course, they have they have a great uh, ability, to, ability to do that, and um, they help out a bunch in those months. But generally, as deer are going into the winter months, especially you've seen it, you shoot a doe late season, she's got a fat reserve on her. She's She's prepared. And um, that's why foods like acorns, if you're in, if you're in timber country, they're very fatty. And as soon as those start dropping, you see that fat layer build and build and build. And they're preparing for these months. Again, there's that survival. They're preparing to be able to get their bodies in shape for the next couple of really tough months. And think of it like the, think of it. I'm just going to ask you, Matt. Okay. Um, how many does have you harvested during the late winter, and you see this big old thick layer of fat? Oh, the incredible amount and, and then when you see, harvest bucks you just don't see that you don't whole see lot. no you do on some and a lot of times i've seen that more in the, uh, the upper places big, upper states like iowa country. where they have that but Left, here in the ozarks they can leave you grain in the field never see that where there's tons mm-hmm. of fat on a on a on a buck and that, that kind of takes me out, back out of the rut to um oh gosh this is back when i was in high school i did i worked with the state and and helped them do a deer herd health survey on some state parks, they're just kind of taking an index of, of basically the health of the deer, and we did it in the winter time. And basically, we're doing these herd health surveys, and and as you're harvesting the deer, you're taking a measure of the amount of fat that they have on the layer of their back, and then inside internally, um, in and around their liver and intestines, they're really looking to see how much fat content is in that portion to get an indication of the herd health in that area 
and the habitat. And, you know, that question you asked really sent me back to that um, because, like you said, the bucks tend in our area not to have that as much as the does. Um, and basically that, that's an indication of the intensity of the rut. And, um, you know, December, January, February, generally speaking, because of, because they're preparing to survive, isn't all that bad in most areas. What the kicker is, and a lot of people may not experience it, it it's, it's dependent upon your geographical location, March is a time when really there's a lot. If you're going to have die-off, a lot of times it comes during the month of March. Now we go into March, and a lot of times that's where food plots are the crummiest they're going to look. Mm-hmm. Your, of course, your old field management, your early succession areas, that's where that's that's just, that's gone. That's now pretty much covered. There's not much food available. And so we really, their main diet is... A lot of woody brows? A lot, a lot of woody brows. And that's the the very end of the, the, end a lot of the twigs, of like the buds. buds. Buds is an incredible but you think about But you think about when you look at your woods, and if your woods look like a park scene where there's really not much available Accessible. from head down, yeah. um, and you're saying, okay, their main diet during that month or that time of the year, we won't say month, it's March here in southern Missouri, but other states it could be late February or sometimes it could be even be in early April, depending on where you're at. During that time frame, your main diet is this woody browse, and your park scene woodlot doesn't have that. That's where you get those heavy kill-offs. That's where you can really see stress levels increase in, in a white-tailed deer. They've come off the rut. And they're already stressed out. Now they're trying to find a food that's not really available. And they come off the rut, dealing with the cold winters, just trying to survive. And then they hit they hit March. And really one of the, the worst things in March that is really common, ice storms. Mm-hmm. Ice. Yeah. And if you get a thick layer of ice, um, they just cannot crunch through. So if you have <clears throat> the woody brows that's available at the level deer can reach... You're so much better off. So much better off. That's why timber stand improvement and you open up that canopy. You've got a lot of early succession, a lot of stump sprouts. Um, and when I say early succession there, I'm talking about woody. lots of woody early woody succession. Woody regeneration. Like, like, yeah, exactly. And you're seeing that in all your timber. That's where you get these high-quality food sources mm-hmm. during that time frame. But if you, if you have completely closed canopy forest and... Very minimal. <laughs> and... and, and if you go back, um, we talked the other day about six to eight pounds of food that deer are consuming a day, and even, probably even more if you got colder temperatures during this time of year. How much browse does it take, woody browse does it take to eight, equal six to eight pounds of food for deer? Each deer, not I, just one deer, an entire herd of yes, deer. Especially if you're in an area of a high population of deer, that's where you really you start seeing browse lines. Oh in, yeah, in your timber. Uh, I think a high fence ranch is that you go in, mm-hmm. and there's too many deer for that for that fence. And I think of Maryland. No, Maryland, I was the just thinking of, of unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it, like it's all part suburban areas in Wisconsin mm-hmm. to where people post pictures and they they say my my deer are eating our our lawn ornaments or our lawn uh, plants, and it's like cedar trees. Yeah, and Leland cypress trees that they're planting as screens, and deer are eating them. Because that's all they have available. If you're deer eating that, you need to go do something in the timber. <laughs> you need to get the chainsaw and start yeah. cutting. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's real life. And, and the other week we talked about um, adding clear cuts to that 40-acre property. And that clear cut was twofold. A lot of it was for supplying security and great bedding cover. But now that becomes a food source because we've we've cut hardwoods and they're regenerating and they're producing buds and in March that's great cover again but a great forage and it's really necessary to have that in your timber and if then if you go back to the podcast we talked about with Matt Ross he talked about that wave like transition within your timber you've got openings you've got um, large seed trees and you've got browse within your timber and you have that wave 
throughout your timberline. And, and that is where this really comes into effect because if you don't have that food source available during that time period, you got to look forward. Okay, what's next in a in a buck's life? And really, next is really is starting to put on antlers, and that comes in 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 our area. We're seeing that typically on cameras, the middle to late April, and that's not that long. That's not that long um, in advance for these deer. So, if if you have deer who are suffering and and in that stress period don't have quality forage. Antlers are secondary sexual traits, so that means that a deer's body condition has to get to a certain level, a minimum, a bottom line, for them to then start putting on inches of antlers. So if you don't have that forage during the month of March, then they need to be getting it in April and building up their body, so then they can put on inches of antlers. But if it's present in March, come time for them to be putting them on, they're already doing it, and they're they're already ahead. back to being healthy. Correct. They're at that bottom line. And that gets you more inches down the line. But what have you done in your place? One thing that I can do or that we've done a lot of, and I talk about the family farm a lot because that's been been my test lab, if you will. We've done food plots for years, um, and we've done all kinds of other stuff. We've done prescribed fire for, for as long as I can remember, to be honest with you. I can remember as a kid we'd burn off wood lots. Um, but we had a very closed canopy forest. We didn't really notice a big change in, let's just say, seeing deer during hunting season until we started doing work outside of food plots. We started doing timber stand. Well, I'm in timber country, so that's where we started tackling, and we were doing a lot of cutting, clearing out, doing some hinge cutting back before hinge cutting was a buzz, and we were doing all this, and that's when, I, I don't know if it was last week or week before last, I was talking about when we would cut in January, February. Mm-hmm. So it was as, last week. As soon as season was over, it's was like, okay, let's get the chainsaws out. Let's go do some cutting. I didn't realize how great that was, how, how great it was for the deer when we were doing that as far as, I knew it was, I knew it was good in the long run, but I didn't realize short term how awesome it was until we started seeing all those tracks. And it was like, it was almost like we were going out and throwing a bag of corn on the ground. And mm-hmm. I know you got something to add yes. to that, but that's that's basically what it felt like we were doing. Seeing the amount of activity and tracks we were getting was we would go out and we'd drop some of those trees in the late winter that were already kind of showing a, a few buds, and deer were coming in and just completely eating those up. And we're like, huh, that's that's interesting. I didn't know I didn't know they would do that that much. And it was just like throwing out feed um, by the amount of the attractiveness, I guess, if you will. Um, of, of deer coming in. So that's one way we were doing that and seeing great results. And I think that's really important to to highlight the fact that you were doing work outside of hunting season for a time period that deer were benefiting outside of hunting season. But knowing that, okay, if my deer are healthier at this point, indirectly, I'm going to have better hunting, bigger antlers to hunt during that time next year. It it. It's a cycle, and you got to really think of an entire life or entire year in a buck's life as to how it's going to affect your hunting. To and, me, I'd like to think of managing for wildlife. And now, since we're talking especially about deer, yep, managing for white-tailed deer. If I'm doing management, I want to manage to help that deer during his stressful times of the year. Yep, and by helping him during those two stressful times of the year, yes. They're not occurring during hunting season, but if I'm helping him out during those two stressful periods, I'm only going to increase my hunting success when it is season. Bingo. And and that's the mindset of deer management is that we need to have is we're not managing to make him going to have huge antlers during hunting season. Let's manage him. To get there, you need to manage for him outside of hunting season. Correct. Right. That's a great point. Um, you had talked about feed. Introducing yes. feed. It's like dropping a bag of corn. It's like what you dropping said. a bag of corn. I said that because we all know the power of corn. But and if you're not, if your deer are not introduced to, I think, if your deer are I not see this routinely. a lot during the stressful period, especially late winter, because a lot of times we don't think of late summer as a stressful time of the year for, mm-hmm. for whitetails. But late winter is what we all just 
we're stressed because we have to drive and deal with this cold weather, but deer are making their living in it every day. They can't escape that. So we automatically know that's a stressful period. And that can also be a time for us to really get stressed out and try to think of ways to help the deer, and that's also when we can really harm them. Matt, I'll let you cover that. Yeah. So basically, if you're if you're trying to, to say, okay, maybe I didn't get to – um, cut enough brows, and I, I, I don't, I don't know if it's enough for them. And you're worried about it, and you say, I'll, I'll just go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go dump some corn. And those deer have not been feeding on corn, and the corn is not in their area. You are possibly doing a lot of damage to those deer, even resulting in uh, potentially killing the deer. And this is because it takes the right bacteria in a deer's stomach. To digest new foods. So it takes about a week for a deer to really get accustomed to a new food and, and you would want to wean them into that new food so they can build up that bacteria in their gut to digest and then make a living off of that food. But if their deer, if your deer do not have a, a great food supply and you just start immediately dumping bags and bags of corn into a pile and the deer are consuming corn and not balancing it with other components for their diet, they can't digest it. And and you see it almost yearly, um, but deer die because of this. And the attention is very good. You want to you wanna get them through that stress period and you feel bad, but know that it takes a week or more for them to build up that bacteria, for them to truly digest it, and if you don't have food, if you don't have corn or, or another supplemental feed um, in their diet already, don't do it. So just that forewarning. Be aware of that. And um, know that if if you've got a chainsaw, you can feed them. You can help ease that. And um, bring stuff down to their level. I even saw the other day, <clears throat> there's a video, there was, it was during March, a big mass of honeysuckle and the deer had that browse line that we had mentioned earlier to their to that level about four and a half foot tall or, or even more mm-hmm. and they're standing up on their hind legs and you cut that and drop it back to their level and boom you see it on camera those deer are coming back to those areas for me um, i think of you know we have we have honeysuckle vining honeysuckle around here but we have a lot more grapevines, mm-hmm. and a lot of times during that spring, whenever they've already the the grapevine is in full foliage, basically you'll see it hanging down a food plot, and it's just it's it's, it's browse line, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just stems. Then all of a sudden, a limb blows over in a windstorm, and it's just like immediately they wipe it out. Yep. They love it, and the same thing with that. So that's why when it's that's why I love cutting and doing timber work. In January and February. Absolutely. And another one that you see a lot of brows um, when when you get the full foliage is Osage orange, bodarks, and hedge apples. Same tree. And then also mulberries. They are browsing those leaves crazy amounts. And um, those new shoots are putting out. So if you see... And, and really, here's another good point. Buds really on any species, tree species, are roughly about the same quality in, in, in um, as a forage, basically. They don't vary that much from an oak to a hickory to a dogwood in their value to deer. So let's say you've got an oak stand, and it's just horribly choked out, and it's regenerating, and it's above deer's level, and you're like, uh, should I cut an oak? Is that okay? If it needs to be thin, that's a great time to cut it. Drop it. Let them eat those buds. And um, another great tree that really stump sprouts a bunch, and we've seen it, are maples. Yeah, I saw it this. I saw it yesterday when I was up checking some food plots. It there's a there's a maple that we walked through. We don't have a lot of maples. I know they we have really them don't. like crazy in the east. In but the east, back we don't have a lot, lot maples. around the family farm. And but there's one that we walked by a lot, um, going up to a food plot up at Amarillo and. Um, we're going along and I always check it every year and it's just like, it grows, it gets eaten next year, it grows back, it gets eaten. And it's just like a constant, constant, um, cycle is mm-hmm. it'll stump sprout from the roots or from the base of the ground and go to about two foot tall and then get completely browsed. 
The next year it grows back. So it's just kind of like a whole bunch of brown stems with green ones going up through <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. So that, th- those are all great species. And, you know, I think this is a good time whenever you think of timber. It's, this is for all you timber country guys. You're like, there is no way I'm ever going to be able to do a complete timber stand improvement over all my timber. Mm-hmm. There's just not enough time in the day, and my wife would divorce me if I did it. So, <laughs> And um, you might lose a leg. And you might lose a leg. But if you set it up to where... Every year, you're like, okay, in January, February, I'm going to cut three acres here and there. Yep. That doesn't take a long time. No. And you cut those. And then you just keep adding three acres during the summer. You go, okay, so I I got those three acres done in January, February, and now I've got three more acres to do in June, July, May, June, July. That's also a great time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of great re- great research out of the MSU. Yeah, um, yeah, they shared out of their podcast. Great uh, information, and it, we encourage you guys to listen to their podcast. They have a yep. lot of really great information of ways you can help your deer herd. And that was just another reminder of okay, deer management is not a monthly thing. It's not a summertime thing. It is a year round event, and. So if you set it up to where you do a little bit of cutting here and there throughout the year, and you do that every single year, there's always new growth and ways to help your deer through the stressful times. And I think it's it's a it's a great way to get your buddies out. Um, you know, say say if you're a property owner and you let a couple guys come and hunt, make them come out in January and February and cut some trees, thin out some areas, and uh, really do some TSI work and. Uh, you know, Adam, I think we need to do this because a gentleman contacted me the other day saying, you know, I know I need to do some hack and squirt and um, I don't know the right approach or how much to do, how much to take. I think what we need to do is do like a little Facebook Live in some areas of timber. Maybe maybe I'm thinking up there close to Amarillo where it's wider space. We got You've done TSI in, in the past, but really it could use some more. Mm-hmm. And then another area of the farm where it's just thick, thick, thick oaks. And we just do a little bit of a Facebook like Old Greg's place. Yeah. Old Greg's place. Yes. That place. And uh, we go in and we talk about, this is why I take, this is why I take, this is why I take, this is my objective. And Mm -hmm. kind of give just that visual. Um, So if that sounds feasible, if that sounds like that'd be informative, let us know um, in the comments when when we post this. Because I think I... I think it would be, but you know, before we dive in and do that, um, just just let us know if that would be beneficial. Just so you get a visual of okay, I've got timber that looks just like that in the composition. I want my timber to be better, to be productive for timber value and for wildlife value. But what trees do I take? And mm-hmm. we're going to walk you through that. If that sounds like something um, that would be a benefit, so let us know. All right. Anything? Uh, I, I, we're in the month of March, which is kind of the main month we wanted to touch on because yes. that is it's a, a very, very big stress month period. of March or, or even February and April. That time frame, late winter, early spring. So basically, mm-hmm. winter is now kind of it's starting to be over, but it hasn't warmed up enough to have green out and and f- more food available. So that is the period we're talking about. That's the that's the one. That's why I like clover and winter wheat a lot. Um, yes. It's more specifically wheat that's been around cattle to where there's mm-hmm. a, a, a lot of wheat available. I'm, I'm talking big big fields that have been planted, cover cropped, and they've been grazed by cattle. and So they've kept them at this very high-quality forage mm-hmm. um, state. But um, that, to me, that's just what I'm thinking. That that, that month is, is key to have something green. And clover is, is like one of the first things you really see green other than fescue. <laughs> but yeah. clover is, you know, I found a lot of sheds in, in March on clover. Oh. If, if you get oh, yeah. those warm spells. It's like one of the first things to green up. And, you know, we Adam, you and I have talked about it. We haven't really shared it much on the podcast. But, you know, there's that there's that almost mindset of a, of a conventional planting season and a you know, this is when mm. you plant. You don't have this. You know, you can't plant in July. You, plant, you, plant you can't your food plant plots and uh, you plant your spring food plots in in May and June or May basically. Yeah, yeah. and most you plant areas. your fall ones in August, and that's it. But like that's the only time frame. But let's let's think of like a a, a cereal rye mm-hmm. in and because in our area area I said era area February you can have those warm like warm days or those two or three days where it's just like hey it's 60 degrees out I don't know how but it's 60 if you're planting if you have cereal rye in the ground if you've planted it and you're you're ahead of that warm spell 
I guarantee you it's growing. Mm-hmm. And that's Tinder, the most highly <laughs> selective forge at that time of the year. And if it's growing and then you get another growth spurt a week or two later and then again in March, deer will be on that. So don't think that you can't plant. Just because it's not August a or. A cool season grain, May. small grain. Yeah. Even in, in the summer. In February. Let's talk about summer. You, sure. Oh, dang it, I missed my window to plant my soybeans. I guess I'll have to wait till fall and let my food plots grow up in weeds. Uh huh. That may be just as good as disking it under and disking it under and wait till fall. But you can. There's other species to plant. Buckweed is something that you can plant late in the year, late oh, yeah. in the summer. You can plant it in June, July. Um, sun hemp is another great mm-hmm. one to plant. Um, even in July, we plant it last and year those, in July. And that's so. a, a subtropical plant, so it does really, really good in the heat. Yeah. And 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 not that much rain. So mm-hmm. we last year we planted it um, late. July time, and it was and even, still seven, it, eight foot tall. Yep. Lots of And forks. even, you know, you think about... Great lagoon for uh, uh, nitrogen fixing, too. Yeah, you, you talk about double-cropped crop Creeping. fields. Yeah. Yes. You and think of wheat plant, coming off in, in They just June, harvested July. wheat in June. Like, we're, I've seen a few wheat fields around mm-hmm. here getting combined, and they're getting ready to go back in and plant it with soybeans, and it's here we are coming up in the end of June. Yeah. So... Don't think that just it, because you miss the window, it's over. There's still it's growing. It's called growing season for a reason. There's a, yeah. there's something that can grow. And if you're and if you're thinking, oh, okay, I do have time. You might change the, that group we mentioned earlier. That group of bean that you're planting, um, you might do a group four or five at this time of year and not have that longer um, uh, maturation for that bean. And uh, there's there's alternatives, and there are the alternatives. Are, are great if you implement them right. So don't think that, you know, just because you missed that time to plant in May, if you're too busy or traveling or whatever, you can still go out, go out and do some good. And again, in February too, if you've got warm days coming and you have the grain and you can get it out, plant it. I guarantee you the deer will jump on it and March will be a much better, less stressful month if you're planting during that time frame um, with, a, with the appropriate seed and forage it will grow even late in the, late in the fall you can drill yeah. in november uh-huh. uh, given the weather if it's going to snow and there's two inches of snow it's probably not going to be great but if you're getting some warm days and you Watch go ahead and forecast. plant some cereal rye cool Watch graze the rye forecast. it's going to grow yeah so don't think that just because just because uh, you might have missed one window yeah. you you can get you can get by yeah. and do it yeah. absolutely so I think that pretty well. And now, we, so then we go back into April and May. Now that's when you really want. You talked about it earlier. That's when antlers are starting to grow mm-hmm. a lot here in the Midwest, and that's kind of now we're back. They're starting to grow antlers, starting to really try and build their health back up and get yes. get set up for the next year. And you know, I just completed our year, by the way. <laughs> that's quite fine because we're going to talk a little bit more about it. But you know, you think about March. March, April, May, June, July. That's five months. In that five months, that transition that Buck is going through is incredible. He's going from one just absolute stress period where he has gone through winter after a rut, and he's possibly lost 24, 25% of his body mass, body weight, excuse me, and he's he's gone through this stress period, and in five months' time, now he's back full weight and produced hopefully an amazing set of antlers in that short amount of time. That blows my mind. Just five mm-hmm. months. He's going from basically bottom to top. Yeah. And and what does that correlate with? Now we're here. Yeah, now we're here. Um, what? what does that correlate with? It correlates with a growing season and forage and native browse. And and having that available um, is key. Thinking outside of food plots. Yeah. It's not... Basically, deer survived well before man started planting a food plot. And I love food plots. Food plots are great to hunt around. Um, but you don't have to rely just on food plots to feed deer. And know that the other acres on your property are have the ability to, ability to do so. And I think that's the other thing. You know, the mindset is, or what we've seen and experienced is, well, deer don't really feed my timber. They come out to my food plot and feed. Yeah, there's high-quality forage, but is there actually forage in the timber? Is your is your timber set up? Is it managed appropriately that there is even forage available to them? 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you observe throughout the hunting season, okay, you know, deer are feeding on some acorns, but what else are they feeding on? Are there, are there other options? And, you know, there can be other options. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't want people to get stuck in a rut saying, well, food plots is all I can plant. It's all I can do. That's what they're feeding on because that's what I see the most. Well, I just I want to say I challenge the thinking because the most time you're spent out there, it's probably during the summer watching a bean field or in a tree stand and you're watching them over a fall plot. Well, sorry, it's just a little subjective. Did I go on? A, I went on a little rant there. You did go on a little rant. I'm sorry. I will say. I apologize. I, I'll say right now that I feel like I did fairly well for completely. I, I'll commend yeah. you on that. I had no yeah. clue what was we, going on. We talked briefly, but you know what it was? It was my questions. It was my good, was my Yo, good questions. So if you guys oh, are listening on. to this um, and, and you like this kind of stuff, go over to our iTunes account or wherever you're at listening to it. Give us a, a comment or a, a review and... Uh, Help help us spread the information, the education, and and continue doing this for you guys and helping you with your habitat management and your land projects, everything you have going on for your wildlife. Um, and then head over to our Facebook page. Yeah, we're actually, I think Adam's going to post a a picture of one of the one of the bucks that um, he's gotten on trail camera at um, at the farm and uh, kind of see what they're looking like. Yeah, and see the the the. Okay, middle of June. This is where they're at, and I, I just I hope that this podcast has given given people an idea of okay, <clears throat> this is what a buck actually Man, goes through. Thank goodness you didn't become what? a preacher. <laughs> Getting long winded, am I? Yeah, we're over an hour. Oh come on! So <clears throat> I just hope that it was it was beneficial to to see okay outside of hunting season what deer are really going through and why it's important to do the habitat management we talk about it all the time well this can benefit them here this can benefit them here but this is why because they're in this condition at this at this point throughout the year and um i think that helps to complete a picture if you will of why habitat management is important how it's going to help not only the overall deer herd individual deer within that herd get them to let's say that bottom line or get them to start growing antlers quicker um so that's what i got okay good my goodness you're long-winded tonight yeah yeah so anyway i think that wraps it up and there was something else we were supposed to talk about upcoming upcoming uh oh i we did have a question come through facebook guy asked about uh a podcast dedicated to government programs, signing up, how to, oh, what. Nice. Um, so basically, we're going to work on getting somebody from probably the Missouri Department of Conservation, private lands uh, conservationist, biologist, and get them on here and walk us through the process and everything that government programs entails here in Missouri. Most states will be very similar. but Great yeah, idea. Yeah. So Great idea. Thank you. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Oh. It's late at night. But anyway, yeah. Uh, and if you guys have anybody else have any ideas of podcasts coming out for your habitat, your hunting, whatever it is, we're open to all kinds of stuff, um, even hunting strategies for whitetails, anything. Anything outdoors you want to talk about, let us know. We'll talk about it. Now we good? good. I yeah. think we're good. I think we're going to wrap right. it up. All right, I'm almost scared to ask vacation. if you got anything got else you want to add or we'll go on another 10-minute rant. So, <laughs> yeah, enjoy your vacation, Matt. Will. And, uh, hopefully we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you want to see more, check us out at landlegacy.tv or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Take pride in knowing that God has called us in Genesis 2-4 to work and take care of the land. So keeping that in mind... Remember to do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God. Yeah.